You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. All right. Hey, it worked. I was in charge of turning my own microphone on, so I was a little worried. <laughs> I had to push a button in my pocket, which I know is a hard task to pull off, but <clears throat> if you do it wrong, you look stupid, so... <laughs> <laughs> so it's an important, simple task. Um, I really, really like that song um, as well. I remember the first time I heard it was about, <clears throat> about four years ago. Um, my wife and I were pregnant with our fourth child, Lorelai, and uh, so I thought I would be a good husband and take her on like a, a weekend thing just to enjoy a little last moments before we welcomed a new person into the world. And so we went to Omaha um, so I could take her to anthropology <laughs> so we could see it in person. Um, so we could see a bunch of stuff that's too expensive to buy in person, I should say. Um, and so, yeah, and then we went to uh, Coram Deo, which is Bob Thune's church since we were there. And they played that song, and it's the first time I'd ever heard it, <clears throat> and it stuck with me. Um, it was really powerful. And particularly that line, um, I think's relevant this morning, um, says, like, to you who boast tomorrow's gain, <clears throat> tell me what is your life, a mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. Uh, it's that time of year, like Luke said, where people are kind of contemplative about life. Like, what is, what's going on? Where am I? Where did I think I would be? Where did I wish I was? And uh, the, the lyricist to that song, uh, Dustin Kenzer, didn't uh, just pull that out of thin air. I want to show you from Scripture where he gets that idea from. It's in James 4. I'm going to have it up on the screen for you. Um, but it's in James 4, 13 and 14. Um, he says, Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So I brought my sprayer with me this morning because I feel like we hear those words (laughs) and we hear like a mist and you, you get the point, right? It's short. Like you hear that and you're like, and even the song, it says a mist that vanishes at dawn, like the dew comes overnight and then the sun raises up and that dew just burns off. It just goes away. But I just want to like give you an idea, like it's a visual representation, like that's a mist, right? Like I know that seems like overly simplistic, but that's your life. Like think that's your life in comparison to how, how long has the world been here? How many people have lived and died and tried to make money and tried to raise kids and been frustrated with the way things are going and been happy about the way that luckily things played out. Your life. Like, that's your life in the span of the, the world, as long as the world has been, as long as God has been around forever, the God who has never been created, the God who always has been, that's your life. A mist. There, there's nothing else in it. appears out of nowhere and it goes away just as fast. You show up on the scene, you disappear from the scene, and things go on. Like a mist. (laughs) That's your life. So on days like today, people, when they think about that life, they're like, man, I'm 20 years into, what, 80 maybe? I'm a quarter of the way through. What am I doing? Where do I want to go? I spent the first five not even knowing what was going on. (laughs) You know, like, what am I? I've already burned (laughs) through a lot of this candle here, and I got times... Burn it on. So today's like today is where I actually catch you in these contemplative moods. There's few windows in life, funerals, birthdays, and New Year's. Think about it. Like, how, how much time do you spend thinking about your life? But when a birthday, you're like, man, I am 38. <laughs> 38. That's, I remember when I used to think about 38-year-old people and how old I thought they were. <laughs> you remember that? Like, however old you are, at one point, you thought that was super old. <laughs> 
You know, like our kids, my kids are like, I can't wait to be 16. Like when they get 16, they'll be like, man, you know, like it's just, <clears throat> you assume that, you know, like the future's out there and then you get there and you're like, man, I am a lot older than I thought I was. This is catching up to me a lot faster. So days like today, people like ask questions like, what <clears throat> do I want to do differently going forward? Okay, life's in the books up till now. What do I want to change? What do I want to be different? What should I change? Like, what do I honestly know I need to change? And what if nothing ever changes? What if things continue the way they're going right now? How does my story play out? And today's one of those windows, like a funeral, like a birthday, where people actually are willing to contemplate stuff like that. So I want to take advantage of that spirit that you find yourself in today, since we have such a short window where you're actually willing to hear it. Because <laughs> I know it's me too, because by January, I mean, even by today, the thrill of 2017 is like, well, what, I just have to sign my checks differently? I mean, that, it just moves on at some point. You just, the thrill of the new year wears off. So what I want to do is... Um, I'm going to introduce you to four tools that are going to help us make the most of that mist because like, this is not a lot to work with. So let's take advantage of it. Like, let's milk as much out of that as you can. So I'm going to, on the back of your bulletin, I think I have it listed there. There's four tools, your map, your axe, your ox, and your foundation. So that's what I'm going to be working through today. That's where we're headed. Uh, that might give you a clearer idea of, for the note takers. So the first thing I want to start off with is your map. Proverbs 4.26 is going to be your map. Like going forward for this year, kind of planning your life out. Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Ponder the path of your feet. Ponder. Have you thought about what direction you're headed in in a while? If your feet continue to walk down the path you're on, where will you end up? People who think about where they want to be going point their feet in that direction and they usually end up there. You put in the destination on MapQuest, or I mean, Google Maps, people don't use MapQuest anymore. <laughs> so, see, I'm 38. <laughs> I remember when MapQuest was like the, the only way you figured out how to get places. Um, so you put it into Google Maps, you say where you want to go, it tells you how to get there. If you point your feet in that direction, you point your car in that direction, you end up where you want to go. So this is simple. Ponder the path. Have, when was the last time you thought about it, though? Like, have you pondered, like, where are my feet currently pointed? What are my feet pointed at? Like, where am I going? Where does the road you were currently on take you? And if your life were to continue going that direction, where would it end up? Like, where is that going? Like, pick a point five years from now in the future. That's reasonable. It's not so far out. <clears throat> Who do you want to be in five years? What do you want to have done by the time five years? By the time we're celebrating, and these guys have 2022 glasses on, <laughs> what do you want your life to look like? The best indication of where your life will be five years from now is what you're doing right now. The best indication of where you will be is where your feet are pointed. Where your feet pointed right now is probably where you're going to go unless you change the direction of those. So like you might say, like, well, I want to have read the Bible by 2022. Are you reading it now? Right? <laughs> if, you, if you keep doing what you're doing, you won't have read the Bible by 2022. You just won't because you're not doing it now. Like, what do you want to have accomplished by then? What do you want to have studied deeply? What, do you want to have, what habits do you want to have formed? What habits do you want to have gotten rid of? What's the plan, is what this verse is asking. Like, ponder the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be sure. You're far more likely to get where you're going if you actually think about it and then point yourself in that direction. And then you submit yourself to God and allow it to happen what happens. But at least you commit your plan to the Lord and you have a good plan in place. Because here's the principle that drives this particular tool. Your direction determines your destination. 
<clears throat> it's simple. Whatever direction you're pointed is where you will go. Wherever you choose to point your feet is where you will end up. <clears throat> Paige, my wife, does not stay at our home, does not stay at home with our kids by accident. That was the plan. So I had these, I worked with these young punk kids <laughs> at this job before we moved here who were really fun. I loved them. They were these 18, 19-year-old kids because the job didn't require a degree and it was so much fun. It was a commission-based job, so we were debt collectors for the U.S. Department of Education, so it was a lot of fun. But, um, <clears throat> so yeah, so some of you may have gotten called by us. <clears throat> Please don't. Um, pay your bills. Um, so working with these punk kids, though, they were super fun because they are just these young, worldly kids in Waterloo, Iowa. And, uh, you know, some girl was like, well, pfft. Like, so, you, so like what? Like, what if your wife didn't want to stay home? And I was like, well, I wouldn't have married her. And she was like, what a jerk move. What a, you know, you're what a chauvinist pig. It's like, no, like, that's not a jerk move. We decided that beforehand. Like, a jerk move would be to marry her and then force her to stay home against her will. Like, that'd be a jerk move, right? But for me and her to say, I'm looking for somebody who will stay home, raise my kids. Like, that's what I want out of life. Is that what you want? She said that she communicated that's what she wanted out of life. So we're going the same direction. Our destination is the same place. So I didn't like win an arm wrestling match. <laughs> like, well, if I win, you stay home. If you win, then I'll figure it out. And then I sit down at the table and then boom, it's like, ha ha. <laughs> like that's what this girl at CBE, my old job thought apparently I had done. I'd strong armed my wife into doing what I wanted. But we chose what direction and I made that decision. I, that's, that's what I used to determine who I was gonna spend my life with is somebody who's going the same direction as me. A bad example of this is <clears throat> the desire to, for a young lady, let's say, who wants to find a good man in a bar. <laughs> Do you see how those things don't add up? <laughs> I'm looking for a good man, somebody who will love me and take care of me. And you're looking at the, <laughs> the possibly the worst place to find a man, especially like on a Tuesday or something. Like, what guy is in a bar on a Tuesday? <laughs> like, it's... What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, run it out. And that's the discipline that this first tool is asking you to consider. Run it out. Begin with the end in mind. Work backwards. Reverse engineer. Where do you want to go? Are your feet currently going there? Does what you're, the decisions you're making make sense with what you actually want to do? Say, I want a good man. It's like, well, then look for them where good men go. <laughs> make sense? Like, it's very simple, but like, on days like today, you actually think about, like, what am I doing? Do these decisions add up to what I want to do? So that's the first tool I want you guys to consider because it will always be easier just to stay on the path you're on. If you don't do anything, you will just continue going in the direction you're going right now. If nothing else happens, if you don't put any thought into it, the, the tide, the current will just take you where you're already going. That is exactly what will happen. You will be the same person five years from now, just five years older, if you live that long, by God's grace. So you have to make a decision to choose where you want to aim your feet. And so today is like day, today is like today, or where you get to choose that. Where do I actually want to point my feet? So what's my plan? Like what's the plan? You submit it to God and allow him to work in it, but what's the plan? How am I going to get there? We tend to kind of idealize our futures as these places where we finally become the people we always wanted to be. But we don't realize that the person we are right now will have to change to become that person. <laughs> In the future, I'm going to have read the Bible. In the future, I will have studied the Holy Spirit. In the future, I'll be finally raising my kids well. In the future, I'll be working less hours and spending more time with my family. In the future, you're always better in your mind. In the future, you're always killing it. But current you has to change. If current you does not change, future you will be current you, just five years older. Less hair, more hair, depending on 
where the hair is coming from. <laughs> so the second tool we're going to look at is your axe. Like your axe, like an axe, not like axe, A-C-T-S, but an axe, A-X-E, your axe. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 10.10 10 cashes this one out for us. It says, uh, if the iron is blunt, iron is just a word for axe, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. So get the picture. Do you understand the picture? There's a guy cutting down trees. And he's been cutting them for a while, enough that his axe has now grown dull. So he has two strategies available to him. Swing harder or take a break and sharpen your axe. The verse says... If he doesn't sharpen it, he must use more strength. You have to swing harder. That's the option you have. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Wisdom is taking a break, sharpening your axe, coming back, and then cutting the tree. It will go much cleaner. Your morale won't suffer as much. The devastation of constantly swinging. And I think most, for most of us, our strategy for this year is try harder. I mean, so when you look at your map and you're like, okay, where I'm going isn't where I want I'm going to change the path of my feet. I'm just going to try harder. This year, I'm going to try harder, and that will accomplish it. Your instinct is always to swing harder. So it makes me think of like a boat that's taking on water. And maybe your lives feel like this sometimes. You're in a boat. Imagine yourself in a boat, and it's taking on water. Your first priority is get the water out because we're going to sink. I don't want to drown, right? My only motivating thing is don't drown. Don't drown. So whatever you do, chuck water out the side. And day after day, life is constantly putting out fires, throwing water outside your boat, and you feel just like, this is my life now. This is what life is, is throwing water out of this boat. Anybody ever had that feeling about life? Like, that's what life feels like. Like, is there ever any end to this? It's always taking on water. Wisdom would be to wake up one day and patch a hole. Patch one hole. I know your boat will take on more water that day because you're not spending all the time chucking it out. But the next day you wake up, there's, you make up for yesterday's, and then you're actually making ground on it, because now you're taking on less water. And day in and day out, you, f- you play out the strategy to the point where your boat is patched up. You're no longer taking on water, so you can change from asking the question, will this ever end, to where do I want to sail? When was the last time you thought about where the boat's going? Your, your whole strategy is just don't die. <laughs> I mean... Day in and day out, don't die is my only driving factor. I'm just chucking water because I don't want to drown. I know that much. I'm scared of drowning. I don't want to do that. But that's what your life becomes. But wisdom helps somebody to succeed. Patch up the holes. Where can you be smarter instead of harder? Like, where can you work smarter? Where can... Because if you're swinging axes and you're cutting down trees and that's your job, the hardest thing in the world is to feel like taking a break is productive. Right? It's like, if I stop chucking water out of this boat, I'm going to die. <laughs> If I stop cutting down these trees, ones in the f- ones out in the distance are growing up even now. Like, I'm never going to get caught up. I'm never going to get caught up. Wisdom says, take a break. Sharpen up. Come back. Live to fight another day. <laughs> Patch up the holes in the boat and ask the question, instead of, how am I going to cut down all these trees? How am I going to chuck all this water out? The question now becomes, where do I want to go in this boat? Like, when was the last time I thought about where I'm sailing to? What's the point of all this? Not just how do I keep from dying in this boat? Because the principle here is work on your life, not just in it. Work on your life. Like, what do you want to do? Like, Google Earth, like, looking down at your life. What do you want to do? That, that feeling is that, that we described earlier is that being in your life. Like, all I'm ever doing is in my life stuff. 
I'm fixing the car. I'm getting the oil changed. I'm going grocery shopping. I'm just, ah, everything's in. Like, I'm just trying to manage this world. I'm just chucking water out of a boat, just trying to stay alive. But this principle asks you to consider, like, to work on your life. Look down, big picture. Where do you want the whole thing to go? Work on it, not just in it. Wisdom helps one to succeed. So what should you be doing to work smarter instead of harder? Like, where are you currently just working your tail off? And if you just took a break and got smarter about it, you could save yourself a lot of trouble. What chores are wearing you out that maybe you should consider? Is there a better way to do this? Is this even necessary? Like, some people spend their time just doing stuff that doesn't even fix the problem. Instead of chucking water, they're, they're trying to check their Facebook. <laughs> like, man, this water keeps adding up. It's like, yeah, because you're on Facebook all the time. <laughs> like, you are going to drown, and you're going to drown, apparently very informed about your friend's lives. <laughs> You'll be at the bottom of the ocean, the most informed dead person we know. Our map helped us plan the work. Our acts helps us work the plan. Like, what's the plan is what we learned from our map. Now we're trying to work the plan after we plan the work. Our strategy often is to work harder instead of smarter. And it reminds me of, like, you guys remember, like, Scooby-Doo? I don't know if they still do Scooby-Doo anymore. But you remember, like, Shaggy or Scooby would get scared, and they would immediately, like, levitate and, like, spin their legs. But they wouldn't go anywhere. Like, they would just kind of, like, they, there was a lot of energy and a lot of activity happening, but they weren't going anywhere. That's what this is. <laughs> if you fail to plan, you're just spinning. But when you think about it, I'm not going anywhere. This boat is just going wherever the waves take me. I'm not, I haven't chosen where to sail in a long time. The principle here is to work on your life, not just in it. Don't just be a flurry of activity and be busy all the time, but, like, actually be productive. What do you want to actually accomplish? Which brings me to the third tool, which is your ox. You know, everybody has one of those. <laughs> you do. You just maybe didn't know it was called that. Your ox. Proverbs 14, verse 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. So get the picture. If you're a farmer, if you don't have any... Here's, I'll say this as plainly as he's saying it. If you don't have any oxen in your barn, they don't crap in your barn right? But if you don't have any oxen, how much land can you till if you hook that thing up to you, (laughs) right? Oxen are far more productive than you are, but they cost something. To have an oxen means you have to commit to scooping their crap because they're not going to do it themselves. And if you don't, they'll get sick and die. (laughs) No, you don't have an oxen anymore. So if your goal in life is a nice, clean, tidy life, don't get married, don't have kids, don't have a job, to go live in a hole somewhere <laughs> and count the cost of being alone. But like, you'll have a nice, clean, tidy cave and nobody will ever come and mess it up for you. But if that's your goal in life, don't get married. Because I love my wife, but people come with their own crap. <laughs> and she would, she'll be the first <laughs> to affirm that in the reverse. That's what people do. That's what people are. It doesn't mean that they're not worth the cost. It doesn't mean that they don't actually help you. Pro- like, I need a wife to have kids. <laughs> like, it, it, I'm more fruitful because I have her. If I have an oxen, I can actually plow more land, but they come with their costs. Like to have one costs something. Like Penelope has this nightly dinner dilemma where she has to decide between eating the stuff on her plate or getting treat, <laughs> right? And so every night it's like, what's treat again? <laughs> uh, well, no, it's not worth it. I'll just do my f- five bites and be out. <laughs> like every night she has this dinner dilemma because she realizes 
that everything costs something and she has to make a hard choice. But which hard choice are you going to make? Is it the hard choice to eat your food or is it the hard choice to go without treat? Because you're making a hard choice. There is no life where you don't have to make hard choices. So the, one of the things that this teaches you is stop dreaming. Stop, you spend so much time like swinging, wishing that we're, the life was different. You wish people were less sinful. You wish your jobs were less hard. You wish the computer didn't crash as often as it did. I, and I'm with you. <laughs> like, I wish that too. But like, this helps you come to the reality of this is what life is. Cars do break down. Your wife will sin against you. Your kids will not obey all the time. This is what life is. Which hard choice do you want to make? Which hard choice do you choose? Own it. Choose it. And then own the crap that comes with it. <laughs> like, honestly, that's what he's saying here. Like, embrace it. Not because you all of a sudden develop a love of scooping crap <laughs> to be in that barn, but because you love the ox and you love the life that it provides for you. You love what that allows you to do. So you embrace it. You choose to embrace it. You choose to get up and scoop it because you want to, because to have that ox means you do that. If you don't want to do it, then shoot your ox or get rid of it. Don't do that with your wife or your kids. Or whatever. <laughs> don't, that's not the best strategy, but that's, that's the, what else are you going to do? Like, that's what they do. Or stop feeding it, I guess, and then it dies. <laughs> like, like, there's only so many strategies available to you. Most of them involve killing the ox in some fashion, <laughs> whether it's actively or passively. But choose which hard thing you're going to do. So what are your oxen? What are your ox? What have you chosen to take on yourself that helps life be more productive but come with their own costs? Think through it right now. Like, what are those things for you? And what is the crap that comes with them that you choose right now to embrace? You choose right now to embrace it. Because honestly, like <laughs> having kids, I love kids. I mean, we're, we, I told you that we went to that, that uh, Coram Deo four years ago. We were pregnant with our fourth child. Now we're sitting here pregnant with our sixth child. So we'll, coming this summer, Lord willing, we'll have number six. So we're filling our house with people that I love and are productive and poop a lot. <laughs> like one time when Atticus was a kid, he literally pooped my pants. <laughs> I was changing his diaper and he like projectiled onto me. I was like, he just pooped my pants. <laughs> but I would rather have that and have him than not have him. Do you understand that? Like I would rather have Atticus and the crap that comes with him than not have him because it's worth it. I choose, it's worth it. So whatever stuff comes with those things, with your job, with your wife, with your kids, choose choose. Like, it's worth it. Like, I would much rather have these kids in my life ruining my Sunday mornings. <laughs> Every Sunday morning is the worst. <laughs> so hard to get somewhere on time. <laughs> but I would rather have that in my life than not have them and be on church five minutes early every week and be like, doo, 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 I'm here and I have nothing else going on because I'm just a guy responsible for myself. I have no wife, no kids, and I'm always on time. Yay. <laughs> if that's what's important to you, if, you want, if being on, on time is important, don't have a wife or kids because you will never be on time ever again. Look at the way Henry Smith, some dead guy, said. I love dead guys. I have, so much, I have so much intimate relationship with dead guys who I read. Henry Smith said it this way. I have a quote up here. First, a man must choose his love, and then he must love his choice. You drive that whole process. Do you see that? You choose. Who do I love? You didn't have to say I do. You didn't have to decide to have kids. You chose to. Whatever you choose to do, you choose it. And then after you've made the choice, you spend the rest of your life committed to loving the choice. Every decision is based on loving my wife because that's my choice. So I don't wonder, what if I'd marry so-and-so? 
what's the benefit? That doesn't help me love my choice. My job now is to love my choice. There's no value in entertaining what ifs because I've already chosen. So you don't go back and relive that. What if I had chosen not to have kids? I'm sure I'd have lots of extra money. You don't get to do that. Yeah, I probably would, and I wouldn't know what to spend it on. You choose what you will love, and then you love your choice. You commit to both, on the front end and the back end. You make your decision, you make it wisely, and then out of love and commitment and covenant, you choose to love your choice. So when you think about your map, where you want to go, and your acts, sharpening the way to get there. What costs do you need to decide to pay right now? Because everything costs something. That's the principle here. Everything costs something. Everything costs something. And you will spend yourself somehow. Like for Penelope, it it costs something, right? Like if she wants the treat, it costs her to eat the food. If she chooses not to have the treat, it costs her. Like she gets the benefit of not having to finish her meal, but she costs her not getting the treat. Everything costs something. Every yes is a no. If I say yes to every opportunity, it means that all of them get cheated a little bit. You have to decide, like you have to choose which costs you want to pay because they will, like oxen will crap and you will have to pay them and you can't resent the ox for doing it. It's not the ox's fault. It's what they do. It's what you do. You are somebody's ox. You got that? You cost somebody something to have in their life. You are not just all charm and benefit to somebody. (laughs) Somebody has to decide to love you and put up with you and put up with your crap for, <laughs> for the analogy's sake. You have to choose because everything costs something. So be careful how you spend yourself. Think about it because you will spend yourself. That missed, you will spend yourself. You will choose. And even to not choose is a choice. Like it still goes by whether you choose or not. This life comes and goes and you will have spent yourself on something or refused to spend yourself on something and it will end and you have spent yourself somehow. So you will burn out if you're paying costs right now that you're not committed to paying. You will burn out because you will get so resentful of those things. So choose right now in this moment to commit to the costs that are associated because you're the one who's choosing. Now love your choice. So, so far, this has been a good sermon. I like it. (laughs) Hopefully you guys have. Hopefully this is helpful to you. And hopefully these things will help you make better choices about who you marry, how to stay married to people, how to raise kids, how to choose to have kids, all those things. I think there's a lot of wisdom here in the Old Testament that will help us as we take advantage of this opportunity. But there's been one thing missing from this sermon. There's been one thing that's been, this book could be in every Christian bookstore. Three tools to sharpen your life or whatever. I don't know, like, you'd sell a bunch of copies. Maybe, I don't know if you could. I should, but maybe, I guess, I don't know. (laughs) But, But Christian bookstores are full of stuff like this. But what's the one thing that's not in this sermon? Anybody noticed who hasn't shown up yet? We're, we're Christians. That's a hint. <laughs> Gee, there you go, Todd. All this is great. You can build better, stronger houses, better marriages, better families. And that's great. Those are all good things. But they're not the main thing. Like, wisdom is only as good as what you use to accomplish it. Or like, use it to accomplish. Like, whatever you use, you, this is, there are better ways to do things than others, whether or not you love Jesus or not. (laughs) Like some of you could do a better job of loving your wife, whether or not you ever choose to love Jesus. But we're Christians and we're at church today. (laughs) So I'm not going to leave it at, well, be warm and well fed. I hope your marriages are better because of this message. I hope you plan your future better. So let's look at one last tool. It's your foundation. 
Your foundation, Proverbs 10.25, when the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. Wisdom can help you build a better, bigger, taller, more beautiful building, but it can't help it survive the storm that will come at the end. You can have a very good, beautiful, strong family that dies and then faces the God of creation who has opinions other than just, did you have a good family? Next to who you will worship, who you will marry, who you will love is the most important decision you'll make, but who you will worship is the most foundational question to your life. Who will, who will this life be for? Why do you want a good marriage? Who is it to magnify? Is it so that people will think you're great on Facebook? Because we always pay, we always, nobody posts like the tantrum on Facebook. Like, look, my life is horrible. <laughs> like my kids are freaking out. I mean, unless they're doing it to like, get sympathy, I suppose. But most people just post like, look, we're all smiling. We've, we found the one out of 200 pictures where we were all looking and smiling. And that's the one we put online because that's the best looking one. God always begins judging a house by inspecting, first inspecting its foundation. He always begins inspecting a house by starting with its foundation. Paige and I, when we moved here, we were looking for houses and we found one after seeing, whatever, tens of houses. And we saw one that we saw when we walked through and we're like, well, it's, it could work. And I mean, it has the space and there's a couple of modifications we'd have to make. And it's been lived in for a while, so we would want to update it, but everything. But they didn't have like the disclosure and all that stuff there available for whatever reason. So we're like, okay. <clears throat> so after contemplating all the houses we have seen, we talked to our realtor and we're like, let's go back and see that one because that one had potential. So we go back and we see the house and it uh, had the disclosure this time. And we found out that the house had had like $35,000 of foundation repairs in the past three, like three years. We're like, oh, well, that explains why this house is still on the market because it doesn't stand up. <laughs> I mean, like, of all the criteria, like, of all the things you need a house to do, stand up is, like, an obvious one, <laughs> right? Like, I even wrote this down. Like, you guys have seen House Hunters? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> newlyweds, Craig and Catherine, have decided to buy their first home. The problem is they can't agree on anything that they want. He wants a new build. She wants an old home of character. He wants a ranch. She wants a two-story. He loves carpet. She wants hardwood. He wants to be close to the downtown. She wants some land outside of town. He wants a man cave. She wants a family room. It's like, it sounds like they want a divorce. (laughs) You guys will be married long. Oh my word, did you even think about where this is going? But nobody on that show ever says, on my top wish list, I want granite countertops and I want it to stand up. (laughs) The house has to stand up or it's not a house. Like that's a given, right? So whatever you do with all this wisdom, the house has to stand. It won't survive. It won't survive if it doesn't stand on the one foundation that is Jesus Christ. The principle here is first things first. This is the principle here. First things first. Before you do anything, do first things. You have a list. So what? If you get two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight done, if you don't do number one that day, you failed that day because your number one priority wasn't done. What are your priorities It should be Jesus as a Christian to orient and found your life on him alone. You can get your finances order finally this year. You can get your marriage in order, kids in order. But it's not necessarily a Christian year if Jesus isn't involved in that process. You can use worldly wisdom to make your life better now. You can have your best life now with worldly wisdom. And that book is in the Christian bookstore. And it doesn't involve Jesus at all. Because you don't need Jesus to have your best life now. But to live forever, you do. To live forever in his presence, you do need Jesus. Let me show you one last quote here from another dead friend of mine, Oswald Chambers. 
uh, who said, uh, the greatest enemy of the life of faith in God is not sin, but good choices which are not quite good enough. The good is always the enemy of the best. <clears throat> the good is the enemy of the best. Do you understand that? Like sin is obviously, uh, he's not saying that sin isn't a problem. He's just saying that there are good choices, like having a good marriage, making that the aim of your life. Good marriage, good Facebook profile picture, good kids who get good grades. That's an enemy of the best if that's your goal in life. If that's your only end goal in life, it is an enemy to your life of faith because it keeps you from looking at the main thing. Satan loves it when you focus on secondary things. He gets super excited because you can do all this stuff without Jesus and he, he wants your life to be better. He wants your marriage to be better if you don't use Jesus to do it because then you don't even feel the need for Jesus because pff, I pulled it off. I mean, my marriage is doing well and I never read my Bible once. Who needs this Jesus? Anyways, Satan loves it when you get fixated on secondary things. But let me be clear about one last thing. Jesus will not be part of anybody's life. He will not be a supporting wall or a support beam in your house. He is the foundation. You must build on him. He refuses to be some accent wall in your house that's painted different than the other ones. Like, oh, that's my Jesus wall. That's why it's red. You know, blood. (laughs) He doesn't want to be a supporting, he's not going to be nominated for best supporting actor in your major picture. He's not interested in being best supporting actor. He's the lead. He's the foundation. You build on him. And then you use wisdom to glorify him, to share with your neighbors, to have the life that he would want you to have a wise life from Scripture, one that's built on him, one that survives the incoming storm at the end. Any life that aims lower than Jesus is in the long run not wise. No matter how wise it is in this world, it's not wise if it doesn't build on Jesus because it will be burnt away. The foundation determines the surety of the building. So let me just circle back and then end here just to go back on all the principles we talk about. In Christ, you can use your map to prayerfully plan for your future and increase the likelihood of ending up where you planned. But in Christ, you do that. In Christ, you're free to take a break from swinging your ax because God's got the world under control. You go to sleep at night, the world's still here when you wake up. Because God's got the world, not you. You can take a break. You can go sharpen your axe. It will be fine. Breathe in Christ. Take a, you're free to stop chucking water for a second to think about, why am I chucking water? <laughs> like, that's a good thing. God would be excited if you did that. In Christ, you can do that, and you can actually breathe. And in Christ, you can actually count the costs of your oxen because they are worth it. And Jesus counted the costs and went forward. He counted the cost. Do you understand that? He, didn't, he wasn't unaware of what was going to happen to him. He came for that reason. He wasn't a victim of history. He even chose when they were going to kill him. He said, not yet. I'm not ready. It hasn't been done yet. He chose the time, place, manner of his death. He chose. He counted the cost, and he did it, and he paid them. And so in Christ now, you can do the same. Like him, you can be fueled by the same Holy Spirit that was part of his world. And in Christ, you can have him helping you pay those costs. <clears throat> And lastly, Christ is in Christ, you have a foundation that will stand. You have a life that isn't just pretty on the outside, but will actually stand at the end. When the storm of life comes, like Jesus said, even in Matthew 7, he uses like this idea, this parable. The wise man listens to Jesus and builds his house on him. And the person who does that survives. You don't just have a pretty house that gets destroyed, but you have a house that survives and lives with Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for just wisdom. <clears throat> Thank you that there's, you haven't just left us to ourselves to figure out what we should do. I thank you that you can just read 
an old book and have such relevant knowledge. I've just been uh, so much enjoying just going through Proverbs and just committing to like really studying, especially as a dad and just wanting to raise kids well. And just, I love the wisdom in there. It just helps me feel smart. Um, I feel so dumb sometimes and I feel so tossed by the waves and I feel so silly and foolish. And I sit down and I read your word and I read Proverbs and I read wise sayings and they sink deep inside me. And I say, if I do this, I will be wise, not because I invented it or because I'm clever, but because God, you are wise. And if I follow you, you've made it clear. And I feel uh, equipped for the life that's in front of me. I don't feel tossed about. So pray that people here would lean in to the wisdom that you've given us and that first and foremost, that they would lay a foundation of Jesus and that they would build on that, that they would steady and decide that foundation and then they would decide where they want to go and take time to sharpen up and pay the costs associated with the life that you've put on their hearts to do. And I pray that you'd be with them in that and that you'd sustain them in that and in the end that you would support them and that they would survive, uh, yeah, even the, the last uh, thing that like they would survive death and live forever, a foundation that stands because nobody can build on anything other than you. And anybody who does build on you, conversely, does live forever. Nobody who builds without you will survive. Everyone who builds on you will survive. We love you and we thank you for this wisdom. I pray you'd apply it to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would guide our, our, even our thoughts and our conversations as a result of this sermon, and that going forward we would be like you in that regard. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>